So what's the difference between a PHEV, a BEV, and an MHEV? Will the cold Canadian winter shorten my battery's life? Where am I going to be able to charge my car? I'm Tara Jean Stevens, and this is Road to Electric, an original podcast powered by Mazda. So I've been thinking a lot lately about driving. My kids, like a lot of young people, are concerned about climate change, and they've been asking if and when will our family be switching to an electric vehicle. And I don't know what to tell them. I don't want to tell them, hey, this is an adult thing. There's a lot of information. There's a lot of contradictory information out there. And it can be really hard to know where to begin. Which brings us to this podcast. Over the next four episodes, I'm on a journey to separate fact from fiction when it comes to electric vehicles. And I'm taking you along for the ride as I try to figure out the road to electric. So as someone who grew up in a world of mufflers and horsepower, I got to admit, all the terminologies surrounding different EVs need some explanation. So we're going to start off with a little primer, a glossary of some of the terms you're going to hear a lot of over the next four episodes. And what's the difference between a PHEV, a BEV, and an MHEV? These are a few different categories of electric vehicles. The PH stands for plug-in hybrid, and the MH stands for mild hybrid, and the B is for battery. BEVs are powered entirely by an electric rechargeable battery with no gas-powered backup. Plug-in hybrid EVs draw most of their power from an electric battery, but they're also equipped with a fuel engine that can power the car if needed. MHEVs mild hybrid electric vehicles draw their power from a combination of a battery and gas. What are EV enthusiasts talking about when they talk about ICE vehicles? This is one I'm still getting used to, since ICE usually means something quite different to Canadian drivers. But in the context of EVs, an ICE vehicle is just the opposite. It stands for internal combustion engine, aka fully gas-powered cars. So we are now armed with a few vocab words, and we're ready to take the first step on this EV journey of discovery. The first person we're going to meet has helped a lot of Canadians find their footing in this brave new world of electric vehicles. Kenneth Bocour's EV Revolution show has racked up more than a million views on YouTube since starting five years ago. And he's become a go-to source on the realities of electric vehicles in Canada. So on this journey, this series, we are examining myths about EV driving in Canada. And I'd love to know what you think are the most common misconceptions. Yeah, you touched upon a few in your intro. You know, can, can I actually you know, drive it in the winter? Can I, can I take it through a car wash? Will it get me to work back and forth? What happens when I run out of power and I'm in the middle of the highway? These are kind of the most questions that we get from people that are starting to think about EVs. And what I would say is, you know, there is an EV for everybody at some point in time. So when I talk to people, I dig into a little bit of what's unique for them. But in most cases, an EV, either a plug-in hybrid or an electric vehicle can fit. So if there's an electric vehicle for everybody and the information is all out there, why are these misconceptions spreading? Why is there so much concern? Yeah, it's a great question. And, you know, 
people, we don't like to change as a species, right? We, we've had internal combustion vehicles for well over a, a century now, and we're used to them. And we're, we know that there's a gas station almost in every corner. We know that whole experience. We know we have to sink a lot of money into these cars to keep them running for 10 to 12 years or 15 years that the average Canadian keeps a vehicle. So, but we're used to that. That's just the known fact. So this is something radically different. You know, EVs are our disruption in the automotive industry like we've never seen before, you know, since the horse and carriage. I think here in Canada, one valid concern we have is the potential loss of battery range in cold weather, mm -hmm. a very Canadian concern with EVs. What's your response to that? Yeah, absolutely correct. You know, and that's just the physics of batteries today. Even in your cell phone, you go outside, you're skiing for the day, you notice that your phone uh, has half the charge it usually does. Just the way that the uh, physics of batteries are. So when I talk to people, I try to size out like a worst case scenario. Um, you know, I've driven in minus uh, 20, minus 30 degrees. Well, by the way, they start fine. You just either press on a pedal or press the start button like light switch and off you go. So you don't have to worry about, will it start in the cold? So it's all a matter of, of finding a vehicle that meets your daily requirements that will still give you the range and the distance that you need to go under those severe circumstances. So, Ken, I know a little about you that, you know, you've been reporting on EVs for five years and you recently made the prediction that 2023 is the year of the EV, which I feel is a really big statement. So what's behind this prediction? Well, a few elements to get us here. One of them is where the markets got to at this point with the proliferation of electric vehicles that we see today. I'm sure anybody listening to this can drive to work and probably notice many different brands of electric vehicles that are out there today, many more than we would have only a short three, four or five years ago. So we're seeing a lot more on the roads today. Uh, we're also seeing a lot more advertising. I mean, the last few Super Bowls have had big ads about electric vehicles from many companies. That's something that we've never had more than three or four years ago. So more advertising, more in-your-face information about electric vehicles on a day-to-day -day basis now. We also are seeing the numbers that show a market share, specifically in the U.S. The U.S. is kind of the main North American indicator anyway, because Canada, you know, our market is about 2 million new vehicles a year. That would be really good for Canada, whereas in the U.S. it's about 18 to 20, so about 10 times the market size. But they've hit 5% market share for EV adoption. Now, 5% doesn't sound like a lot, but if you look at some well-known brands that have many, many different vehicles, not just EVs, but a lot of internal combustions that only have 5% market share and they've been in business for 30, 40 years. That dictates that EVs have now hit a threshold of recognizability and that consumers are now starting to take them seriously. Oh, it's not just a fad. It's not just something that's going to pass. We see a couple here and there. So all these kind of things lead me to state that I believe that 2023 is the year of the EV and it's a great market for consumers because there's now dozens and dozens of models and trims that you can buy here in Canada that we didn't have just a short couple of years ago. And you absolutely touched on this in that answer, but when it comes to widespread EV adoption, where are we right now in Canada? Yeah, we are at about 9% at the end of 2022. Is that impressive to you? Uh, I, I guess so. We're a little more conservative uh, nature uh, people, right? So we don't typically follow the American trends. American markets always react and move faster. And I think it's a good number. I think we could be doing better. And, and I believe we will now that there's more. I mean, I can't watch TV without seeing an ad about electric vehicles uh, every day. 
and so much stuff going on. But to put that market into perspective, how much room we have to grow, we have about 27 million what we say LDV or light duty vehicles on the road in Canada today. These are pickups, SUVs, sedans, hatchbacks, uh, stuff that's still running uh, that, you know, that's kept together by duct tape, whatever. Those are how many vehicles are registered in Canada and on the road today. Out of that, only about 260,000 of that number, that 27 million, are cars that have a plug. So the market potential for growth in Canada is huge. And that's where it takes some time for those fleets to get transitioned, for these older cars to finally die off and become non-useful, and then for those shoppers to go and buy an EV and replace them with it. So we've got a long way to go. And the number's decent, but I would like to see it higher. And Ken, I know you don't have, you know, a crystal ball or anything, but can you give me a specific date? When do you think we're going to reach a tipping point where EVs become the dominant driving technology? I mean, I'm not talking about December 31st, 2024, but are we talking five years off, 10 years, next year? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, and when I started this journey a few years ago, I kept trying to look ahead to look at a tipping point. And I would phrase a tipping point of when we see, you know, let's say more than 50% of those yearly sales of new vehicles be electrified with a plug, a plug-in hybrid or an all-electric BEV product. I think we're still several years away. A lot of analysts were predicting by 2030. I just feel because of the things that are going on now, political, uh, world events, um, business and, and economic impacts, you know, that impacts supply chain and all this other stuff. I think that's going to be pushed out a little. I should see that we should hit a tipping point. And that's going, I'm looking globally, potentially, of around maybe 2032, 2033. In Canada, we're almost 10%. Can we get to 50% in seven years, eight years, nine years? I think so. Uh, part of the issue is we, we just need product. We need more manufacturing. We need all the OEMs to really start kicking out production. A lot of them have made announcements, but they're still not producing a lot of actual products for people to buy. So that's what we really need. All these things have to coincide for that growth to happen. But it, it should be in the early 2030s. Kenneth Bocour is the host and creator of the popular YouTube series, EV Revolution. When it comes to driving EVs, people in Canada face a harsh reality. It can get really cold here. So our next stop on this journey is one of the country's coldest cities, Regina, Saskatchewan. We really get some of the most extreme weather in the world, not just in Canada. And I attribute to that the fact this is an enormous province that's basically flat. There's no mountain ranges or gigantic forests in most parts of the province to affect our landscape. Sean Perpik has been driving since he was 16 years old. And after several decades of driving ICE vehicles, he switched to an EV two years ago. So we're a big plane and the wind comes right down from the Arctic every winter. So it can be plus 40 in the summer and minus 40, minus 50 in the winter. If it's minus 50, the oil in your engine is like a thick goo rather than a nice viscous oil. So it's really, really hard for those cars to to start. So it's it's kind of a it's kind of a game. Uh, first week of January around Christmas time, you get in the car and you sort of say, "Well, my car starts this morning. I hope it starts this morning." And then, rrr, rrr, rrr. and then if you're lucky, the car springs into life. 
With this electric car, it's a completely different experience. So long as you follow recommendations and keep the battery fully charged, you get into the car on the coldest day, you switch on the power, and you drive away. Sean admits to a bit of schadenfreude on these cold mornings. I shouldn't enjoy this, but it is an interesting experience. On these very coldest days in December and January, you're driving down the street and three or four people around you are either trying to boost their cars or they're sitting there on the phone talking to CAA, waiting for somebody to come help them. But I just sort of sail past them and wave at them. And they look at me. And that great Canadian pastime of warming up your car for 15 minutes on a cold winter morning, well, that's also a lot simpler in an EV, not to mention more environmentally friendly. When a car is idling, that like it started from a super cold temperature and it's idling, that, you know, it's an environmental mess because it's emitting a lot of extra hydrocarbons and uh, it's burning a lot of gas and it's not cool. You got to do it, but it's not cool. With an electric car, it's an environmental plus to preheat your cabin because what you're doing, like in my car in January before I go out, I preheat it for 20 minutes, follow manufacturer's directions by using my phone or my key fob. And that actually is a good thing because if I get into a warm car, then I'm not cranking up the heater and I'm not wasting battery range by making the car really warm in a hurry. I've gently warmed it up. I've used practically no energy just to warm the interior in that fashion. And then off I drive to the pharmacy or the supermarket or whatever it happens to be. So uh, if we're a little bit smug about that, that's one reason why. People in electric cars in the winter, they use the cabin warming feature, and it's actually better for them and the environment. And it's sort of the opposite with uh, gasoline engine cars. It's a misconception that electric cars are less reliable in extremely cold temperatures. In Sean's experience, it's actually just the opposite. Far from it being a problem, this is a big advantage in wintertime in terms of reliability. If they look after the car and keep it charged, it's just going to go. And it's going to take you to work or take you to school, whatever you need. Uh, range is affected pretty dramatically. It varies by model. It varies by the technology that's on board the car. I have sort of an early model car. I would call it the second wave of electric cars. And it doesn't have some of the gadgets that are aboard the very latest electric cars, like a heat pump. A heat pump really looks after, it keeps your battery warm, uh, warms up the car very rapidly in the wintertime. Uh, and it, it makes for really... Uh, good winter performance and longer range. It won't be as long as it is in summer, but you might be within 10 or 20% of, of range. With my car, without that fancy uh, heat pump, I'm probably losing about 40% of my potential range of about 350 or 400 kilometers. But again, um, I'm not doing an enormous commute. Uh, most Canadians aren't doing enormous commutes. So as long as you keep that battery at the proper charge, and for most cars in the market today, you keep it at about 80% for day-to-day -day use. That's what the manufacturers recommend. That's beginning to change, but that's mostly the case. As long as you get it up to 80% overnight, you've got no problem. You're going to be driving down the, the road in any weather. So it turns out that cold weather isn't the deterrent that I thought it might be. Plus, I live in Vancouver, where it rarely, if ever, gets as cold as the temperatures Sean was talking about in Saskatchewan. But no matter where you live, 
If you're investing in an EV, it needs to be charged. And having access to reliable charging is a huge factor in many Canadians' decisions to make the switch. Emma Jarrett is a journalist and the executive editor of Electric Autonomy, an online publication that aims to encourage Canada's transition to electric mobility, and it also reports on developments in that area. Thanks for joining us, Emma. Thank you for having me. So I want to start with the absolute basics here. On this journey, I've been hearing a lot of different terminologies around charging stations like level one, level two, fast charging. Can you sort of break that all down for us? Definitely. So broadly speaking, regular public EV charging is broken down into three categories, the ones you mentioned, uh, level one, level two, and fast charging. Level one charging is the amount of power that you would use to plug in a lamp. It's that very standard 120 volt outlet. A level two charger is the same amount of power that your dryer or your oven would draw. So that 240 volt, slightly bigger plug, you obviously don't have as many around your home. And then finally, the fast charging is mostly considered anything above 100 kilowatt hours dispensing energy. So in people's homes, they usually have a level one or maybe a level two if they're able to, you know, they have enough room on their electrical panel and can get that installed. The fast chargers are most useful in applications where you're targeting commuters. So highway side is a very common place to find them now. You might find a few scattered throughout, you know, an urban setting. But generally speaking, they are targeted at people who are driving long distances, who are stopping for a bathroom break or maybe a quick bite to eat, half an hour or so, 45 minutes, and then they want to be back on the road. Where are we currently at with public charging infrastructure in Canada? Like, are there parts of the country that have more public charging stations than others? Definitely. So hotspots right now would be BC, specifically the lower mainland around Vancouver area, and Quebec, between Montreal and Quebec City. That corridor there is very well populated with with chargers. Generally speaking, though, across Canada, you know, it is not just possible, but comfortable to drive coast to coast in an EV. There is more than enough charging infrastructure now built up along the major highway routes that you can get to where you need to go. The challenges start when you're traveling north, which are still areas that are not as heavily charger populated as I'm sure residents there would hope. I'm from the north. I grew up in Prince Rupert, British Columbia, which is, you know, it's on the coast, but it's fairly isolated. And I know a lot of my friends up there would love to get electric vehicles, but they're, you know, they're further behind on this than than we are in the city. What's the hope for electric charging infrastructure in the north? Is that something that we can anticipate soon? There's every indication that we will, collectively, we being Canadians, see chargers everywhere, you know, just like we see gas stations everywhere. The business case for them is easier to make right now in more dense urban settings. You know, these are very expensive pieces of infrastructure to put in, and you want to make sure they get a certain amount of use in order to make them feasible. 
And Canada is obviously this geographically massive and diverse country with different regions and vastly different needs depending where we're at. So when it comes to EVs and charging infrastructure, what are the needs right now in urban centers? In urban centers, the biggest stumbling block right now is access to charging in people's homes. Overwhelmingly in urban centers, that can mean condo dwellers or townhome renters or owners. So you have much more dense living arrangements versus someone who lives like me out in the suburbs who has a garage and, you know, it's not a big deal to get a charger put in. Things get a lot more complicated in a city when you're in a condo building that has easily 10,000 other residents. A lot of the buildings that were constructed prior to 2019, which was when Toronto started passing municipal legislation to make buildings of a certain size EV ready. That means to put in outlets so that people can have access to charging. But buildings before then don't have them. To retrofit in charging systems to existing buildings is quite difficult for a number of reasons. And uh, that can be cost prohibitive for most people, I would say, unless there is a situation where you have a lot of people in a building banding together and saying, you know, we're going to share the cost of this amongst ourselves and make a plan for the building and the you know building board is on side. It does happen and we, we have many examples that we can point to where this is going well, even if it is a retrofit, but there are definitely stories where, you know, some buildings are struggling and the residents in them just don't have access to charging at home. It does come off to me like renters are getting the butt end of this deal compared to homeowners. So are there any cities that are maybe innovating in order to help charging infrastructure for specifically renters, apartments, condos? I think that, you know, the leader cities, if I was going to peg a handful of them, would be Vancouver and then Toronto and Ontario. Montreal is very aware of this issue, but they they haven't quite figured out what they're going to do with it yet. There are municipal plans in place to address the issue, but at a certain point, you know, you need to have the cooperation of all the private stakeholders in this as well to advance anything. But Vancouver is is really looked at as the origin of the place where multi-unit residential building charging issues were seen first, dealt with first, and people are having consistently good experiences now. Their building codes are quite stringent in terms of demanding that everything that's built is EV ready. And how about globally when we're talking about innovation, which I think for me is what really starts to get me excited and I can see the future or feel myself in this future of electric vehicle driving. Are there any innovations or solutions that you're hearing about globally that could inspire our market and infrastructure here in Canada? Well, Norway is always looked at as as the place. They are so far ahead of um, the rest of the world in terms of EV adoption. You know, we're all tiny specks in their rearview mirror, um, car joke intended. <laughs> but uh, Iceland is another kind of sleeper example, actually, of a place that has done really cool EV advancement work. So just a few years ago, Iceland's EV adoption was low. Then Iceland decided to undertake a project to install EV chargers all across the island. And for those who aren't familiar with Iceland, 
It's basically connected by one road, which <laughs> makes it very simple to put in EV chargers. There's one main highway that goes all the way around it called the Ring Road. And the government got chargers installed all along that road, even in the places that are the really remote corners where people aren't going. They just wanted the public to have the confidence to know that if you buy an EV in Iceland, you will be able to charge it whether you are staying in Reykjavik or you're going, you know, to your second property up in the north or going hiking in the back country. And their EV adoption now is very high, like third in the world, I think, last I checked. So it was, you know, a charging initiative that had huge measurable impact. Obviously, Iceland is a bit of a unique case because, you know, as I said, it's quite small. It has one main highway. The logistics of doing this would be more simple and they have a zero-emitting power source because the island is entirely run on geothermal electricity. But it has been done. Emma Jarrett is the executive editor of Electric Autonomy. That online publication conducts an annual tally of charging stations across Canada. This is kind of cool. So their most recent tally, which they published back in March, shows that public chargers across Canada have actually grown by 30% since just last year. And Canada has finally cracked the 20,000 charger mark. Charging infrastructures in many parts of Canada are still growing and developing. But even though there's still some room for improvement, obviously, and for the most part, depending on where you live, you will be able to charge your EV conveniently and consistently. And what about that cold weather question? Well, according to our intrepid EV driver, Sean, in Saskatchewan, that's pretty much a non-issue if you're prepared. All of this is 100% food for thought as I continue this journey into how, when, where, and why my family might get an electric vehicle. I'm Tara Jean Stevens. So many questions still to answer. You've been listening to Road to Electric, an original podcast powered by Mazda. Next time on the show, we're going to talk about the thing that really makes EVs go, the battery. So how much battery life and range do we really need? We'll find some answers. Find and follow us in your favorite podcasting app so you don't miss it. Thanks for listening. The thoughts, opinions, and views expressed in this podcast are solely that of the guests and do not represent the thoughts, opinions, and views of Mazda Canada. The material and information presented in this podcast is for general information purposes only.